0: back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A new report shows there's little mention of disability rights in national climate commitments and policy. The report comes together from McGill University's Disability Inclusive Climate Action Research Program, otherwise known as DICARP, and the International Disability Alliance. Here to share a few of those findings is Dr. Sebastien Jodwin, Director of DICARP. Dr. Jodouin, thank you so much for making time to be a part of the show today. We're grateful. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I'm curious where you were pulling some of this data from and what you were looking for.
1: Yeah, so basically uh, state parties to the Paris Agreement every year have to submit um, communications where they report what they've been doing in the field of climate change. So we basically looked at these reports and from them we extracted... All of the framework climate mitigation and adaptation policies. So, we were able to comprehensively collect all of the climate policies of all of the 192 state parties to the Paris Agreement. And then uh, we were able to sort of look at them, code them, and look at whether they mentioned people with disabilities, uh, their rights, uh, accessibility. Uh, standards and requirements.
0: So I'm on the edge of my seat here because I'm genuinely curious when you're going through that much data, I imagine there are a ton of findings. We could probably be here all day if we read through all of them. But what were some of the key takeaways after that analysis? Well, uh, the key
1: takeaways were pretty disappointing. Uh, Basically, we're looking at um, a situation where people with disabilities are systematically being neglected in most of these policies. So when we looked at uh, the mitigation policy, so those are policies where states outline what they're going to do to reduce carbon emissions um, to meet their objectives under the Paris Agreement, we found uh, that uh, less than a third of countries mentioned people with disabilities in any way. Uh, Actually, one of the countries that did mention uh, them were Canada, but there was sort of just a one line saying, the green economy has to be inclusive of people with disabilities. And when we're looking at climate adaptation policies, I would say here uh, the results are even more disappointing because we know that people with disabilities are disproportionately affected and dying in uh, the context of climate change, including in Canada. Uh, And here again, we found uh, uh, no country—there were countries that mentioned people with disabilities, but they're usually just lumped into a list of vulnerable groups. Mm. And we couldn't find a single policy that had actual concrete mechanisms. For including people with disabilities in the adaptation planning and involving them in efforts to adapt to a changing climate and avoid uh, the uh, harm and mortality that comes from climate uh, fueled uh, events.
0: I-, I hope I'm not wandering too far off the pathway here, but were there any kind of obligations laid out in the Paris Agreement that said you have to consider the needs of people with disabilities? So
1: the preamble to the Paris Agreement. Mentions a number of groups that are more vulnerable to climate change, and people with disabilities are one of those groups. Uh, But actually, the obligation to do something here doesn't really come from uh, directly, anyways, from the Paris Agreement or the climate regime. It really comes from the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which almost all of the state parties to the Paris Agreement have signed, and that agreement is very clear. Uh, Whenever you're developing policies that affect Uh, the rights of people with disabilities, you have to consult them, you have to consider their rights. And then there are specific provisions that apply to uh, disaster uh, responses, uh, and that would obviously cover climate change. Uh, And then, of course, there's provisions that apply to transportation, which is obviously something that's going to be uh, and is being transformed by these climate policies. But as far as we can tell, uh, we can't find evidence of states actually looking at you know, what efforts to trim, transform transportation will do for accessibility and mobility of people with disabilities.
0: As we consider the the lack of of meeting that obligation or including that obligation within the work they're doing inside the Paris Agreement, I'm curious what are some of the consequences. Do we have any tangible idea of what those consequences may be to not be considering the impact on persons with disabilities? Do you mean for for the disability community? That's right.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so this is something that we're doing. Uh, research that we're doing. So we have uh, we're doing an empirical study of uh, the climate resilience of people with disabilities um, in a region of India, and this will actually be the first empirical assessment of that of, you know the barriers that people with disabilities face specifically in relation to climate adaptation. But uh, we do have some. Uh, we can look at uh, evidence that comes out of different severe weather events that are fueled by climate change. Uh, so uh, the example that I can give in the Canadian context is the heat wave that hit uh, Montreal in July two thousand and eighteen, and the heat wave that hit Vancouver uh, last summer. Mm. So when you look at or
0: summer two thousand and twenty one, uh, two thousand and twenty two, sorry, yet. Yeah, well, there was there was a heat wave this summer, but the heat dome <laughs> yeah. was last summer. I know at this point it's hard to keep track yeah. of all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah last summer. Yeah. So uh, when we look at uh, the different reports that were that were done on the rates of mortality and and what happened in those contexts, what we find is that uh, three quarters uh, of the people who died in these heat waves had disabilities. Um, so literally, people with Canadians with disabilities are dying uh, because of severe weather events that are fueled by climate change. Uh, and, um, the responses to those events have just not been, um, disability inclusive. So, uh, I can give you other examples from other places in the world. like Please, hurricane. please.
0: Yes, please do. I, okay. I, I think, I think this is really something that's misunderstood, right? When we're talking about the impact the outcomes of the climate change that's already occurring, people don't understand the way in which people with disabilities are being disproportionately impacted. Well, maybe I can also
1: illustrate it through actually a a sort of a specific population uh, in Montreal. So in Montreal, a quarter of the people who died in this heat wave that killed 61 people, a quarter of them had schizophrenia. So that's a mortality rate that's 500 times greater than their share of the population in Quebec. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, why would people with schizophrenia, you know, why are they more likely to die in this heat wave? So you get to, of course, uh, the fact that they take medication that makes them intolerant to heat. You have these sort of underlying patterns of exclusion, marginalization, and poverty that affect uh, people with schizophrenia, and more broadly, people with disabilities in Canada. Uh, But then really, it's just that the city authorities, they didn't have uh, this population in mind in their response effort. So they knew that the elderly had to be uh, protected. Uh, they had a plan for, you know, you looked at these guidances around heatwave, they would ta- talk about children, and they just didn't have um, that population in their planning. So ultimately, you know, I'm a human rights lawyer, so ultimately, uh, I will say that the reason these people died is because the city and the province did not live up to their obligations to protect these people. Um, And this is a story we see all over the world. So uh, when it comes to hurricanes, we see uh, disproportionate rates of people dying, uh, people with disabilities dying, because there isn't uh, evacuation uh, or shelter uh, that's uh, wheelchair accessible. There isn't anything planned to move people who might have sort of continuous need for uh, medical equipment. so we we can we see the these patterns over and over again, and it's largely always due, tied to the fact that uh, no one was thinking of adapting the responses to the disability community. So that's on the adaptation side, and on the mitigation side, uh, it's also quite concerning what we're seeing, because basically, on the one hand, it's great that we're transforming our cities to finally uh, reduce carbon emissions, uh, tackle uh, transportation um, systems that are dependent on fossil fuels. Uh, But uh, as far as we can tell, this is happening largely without thinking about whether it's creating more barriers Mm -hmm. for people with disabilities. So um, this is a study we're doing right now in Montreal and we're looking at things like, okay, bike lanes, these new bike lanes that are being set up how easy are they for someone who's blind to cross? Um, you know the lowering of sidewalks also for instance, which is seen as a measure to encourage sort of mixed use of streets, more pedestrian streets, uh, also can be quite problematic if you are depending on sidewalks as a way to navigate uh, the city. Um, we're you know looking at car sharing programs. if you go on these car sharing programs, can you get an accessible, vehicle, Mm. Uh, the subsidies for electric cars. uh, Are there uh, accessible vehicles that are available on the market? Uh, So we're asking questions that, unfortunately, we're noticing that the policymakers uh, and the officials designing these policies have not been asking. And so far, uh, we're seeing some pretty concerning results. And the sad thing about this is actually that efforts to transform the way we move, Uh, the way urban planning and transportation is organized, these efforts could actually be used to uh, make cities more accessible. Um, But right now, that's not uh, part of the thinking. So uh, it's a real missed opportunity. And instead, you're seeing like... uh, uh, we're seeing that it's exacerbating uh, challenges for people with disabilities.
0: Dr. Jourdain, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it's a perfect example of a missed opportunity. It's even things with the electric vehicles, which, again, people understand at a broader level is a good thing. There's concerns about the the, the amount the amount of noise they might make, right? That they don't admit as much noise, so someone may not hear a car coming in the same way if they're hard of hearing or they're blind or low vision. So it, like, it, it's these little teensy tiny considerations that it seems over and over again, every time we take a progressive step in society, it always seems like people with disabilities are are the group that gets left out of the consideration here? Well, you
1: know, the the noise of the electric vehicles, that's an interesting um, point because actually the reason that they make noise at all is because of blind activists. Uh, So blind activists in the um, National Foundation of the Blind in the United States Figured out a while back that these uh, motors, which are very silent when they are in the cities, you know, at higher speeds you hear them, but at lower speeds they they make no sound. They figured out, oh my God, this is a huge risk to us, and so they lobbied the U.S. Congress to uh, make it a requirement that electric car manufacturers have to ensure that the their vehicles make sound. Uh, And so this is an example, in my view, uh, I mean, maybe you you might argue it's not perfect, uh, perhaps, but I I would say uh, this is an example of what uh, people with disabilities can bring to this conversation. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to make this technology accessible, uh, safe, uh, inclusive for uh, the blind community is actually going to end up saving um, thousands of lives, right? So the Mm -hmm. children crossing the street, uh, the person who's who's not paying enough attention. Uh, so I, I, there's lots of examples that I like to cite of how we can design things in a more accessible way and actually get more uh, people being able to benefit from and contribute to uh, the transition to uh, a low carbon uh, world.
0: I will never argue about something not being perfect because I wholeheartedly believe in that perfection is the enemy of good. So sometimes uh, we need to put perfection aside just for the sake of a little bit of progress here and there. Uh, Dr. Chaudhoy, you and your colleagues are doing a lot of incredible work. And we're only just, just, just scratching the surface about this report. We're really talking in broad, broad strokes. Where should people follow the work that you're doing uh, with DICARP or ICA?
1: Yeah. So we have have a website. uh, It's disabilityinclusiveclimate.org. And we've uh, put all of the research that we've done, but also basically anything that anyone has ever written about climate change and disability, we've posted on there as well. So we are trying to uh, capture uh, as much as possible what people are doing and what is still an emerging area of research and advocacy. Uh, And um, we are very fortunate to work with organizations of people with disabilities um, from all over the world, including some in Canada. So we try to reflect uh, that the important work that uh, other organizations are doing at the grassroots. And we also have a podcast um, called Enabling Commons, which is actually just interviews of people with disabilities about the work they're doing in relation to climate change. So that's another useful uh, uh, source of information for people who want to know more about this work and maybe want to get involved.
0: Well, Dr. Jodouin, we thank you and your colleagues for all the work that you're doing. It's a no small task, and it's a really important one. So thank you for taking a few minutes today to lay it out for us, and hopefully we get a chance to connect with you again down the road. Sure. Thank you so much for the invitation. That's Dr. Sebastian Jodhwein, the director of DICARP from McGill University. And after the show, you can head over to our blog to read the reports and find out more about the work that they do. AMI.ca slash now is the address. AMI.ca slash now. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This
1: was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
0: The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part.